spanning the Valley of the Sun and all across the 48th state. This is the Gatos and Chad Show. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. It's the Gatos and Chad Show. Steve Zinsmeister in for Gatos and Chad. And with me is the one, the only, it's Bruce St. James. Hold on, hold on. Thank you, by the way. Do we need to come up with it? You can't be in for both of them. You're in for one well, of them. I'm in for the other one. I know. I was so you're you're sitting in the Gatos chair. So I'm going to say Steve Zinsmeister in for Gatos. Okay, I'll do that. I'm in for, for Chad. Oh, I can't wait to see your Chad impression. Well, we do both like soccer. Well, that, that's we that something that ties us. the two of you there together. There we go. Practically twins. Uh, we are going to talk, not, not exactly soccer, but how the World Cup uh, kind of morphs the debate around some of the top yeah. athletes no, in the world. We're going to talk about soccer. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about soccer. I guess so. Like, you know. uh, we're going to do that a little bit later on yeah. in the show. We're going to talk uh, a little bit. It's kind of a bad day for election deniers. And they've been having a lot of those lately. But today in particular, a bad one. We'll tell you not why. Not going well in court. Uh, not going well in court, <laughs> which is really where it matters. The court of public opinion has already kind of made their case. Um, but we start here. Uh, it's going to be a bad day on Wednesday, I have a feeling. Wednesday mm. is the day that Title 42 officially goes away. Title 42, for those who need a quick reminder. Let's do that. It was a COVID-era policy. I believe it came under Trump. It was originally yep. intended to... Uh, give the border officials a an opportunity to send people back to their country of origin quickly, quickly on the premise that we were trying to avoid bringing COVID into the country, allowing yeah uh, people with a with a, a disease. It's yeah. a health policy, not an immigration policy. Although it has significant impact on how we treat the immigration process. About two million people have been expelled. Since Title 42 went into effect. It also only impacts certain countries, and we don't need to get into the specifics of all of that, but like, you know, Mexico, several Central American countries, Venezuela eventually was added on to that because there was an influx of Venezuelans coming to the mm-hmm. border. Um, so this is going to be a big change on Wednesday. And what's kind of interesting to me, too, is this is the one thing in the immigration discussion that both political parties seem to be in a in agreement on that it needs to stay. The question is why and for how long. I would say, okay, yes. We had uh, Senator Sinema on a week ago. Just last she week, She's a yeah. proponent of this. She was working with a Republican counterpart in the Senate to try to uh, come up with a plan. It appears that this is all going to go to LMAM basket. But I think they're in favor of Title 42, not because of what it is, but because of the impact it's having. Because you can make an argument that using, you know, health and safety as the as the reason to enforce immigration law is not really getting to the root of the problem. We like the effect it's having. And so let's go ahead and keep it in place. I would argue, why don't we come up with something or enforce some of the existing laws that we have that a more sane approach to immigration as opposed to a variety of different band-aids. And I'd argue Title 42 is just a band-aid. So the idea is essentially to codify, to make Title 42 into law, not for health-related reasons, but for, hey, this is Immigration working. reasons, yes. Right. Uh, so quit, quit, quit calling it something it's not. Quit pretending. Right. So if, if the courts basically have said that they're going to get rid of Title 42 because it, it's no longer, the purpose of it originally is no longer relevant. Not that the disease COVID-19 has completely gone away, but I think you and I can agree that the pandemic is not what it once was. Agreed. The the reason for creating Title 42 is no longer relevant. Therefore, the court says you can't uphold this legally. 
Now, both sides should want to come to an agreement to extend Title 42 for other reasons, the reason that it works. Cinema tried to do that. It looks like her legislation is dead in the water. So how do you codify it? And, and how do we do it? We certainly can't do it by Wednesday. Well, and, and again, I just feel like so many people dance around the immigration issue on both sides of the aisle. You know, I, I will make the point that over the last 20 years, 30 years that we've had some form of immigration issue, we've had Republicans, Democrats controlling all branches of government. And none of them have ever done anything fundamentally to fix this. They just haven't. One of the issues that we've run into with Title 42, though, and I'm, I'm not necessarily against getting rid of it. Again, I just think it's being used in a way that it never was intended for. Right. And everybody's willing to just look the other direction because, well, it prevents us from having to actually do anything. Is the countries where we're receiving people from now that are coming across the border are not cooperating with us when we send them back. Countries like Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, where we don't have the best relationships with them. So we go to try to repatriate these people, and those countries go, yeah, no. Yeah, we don't want them back. They're not coming back. Therein lies a problem. They're kind of in this limbo of, well, I'm not allowed into the United States, but my own country doesn't want me back, and I don't want to go back because maybe I'm facing some sort of persecution there to begin with, and that's why I went to the United States, or I don't have a job So we've got a bunch of Venezuelans in Mexico now, basically, is what's happened. Well, and I was actually a a fan of the Remain in Mexico policy, Mm -hmm. uh, originally titled the MPP, uh, the Migrant Protection Program, I believe it was called. Um, I was a fan of that. It was a Trump era policy. Basically, the concept is instead of waiting for your immigration process in the courts in the United States, you would wait on the other side of the border, which would then in turn encourage Mexico to either do something to house some of these along people its southern border, along its southern border too, to prevent people from coming across. Well, if you don't want an issue at your northern border, stop people at the southern border. And so that was the original concept. So you argue we should just that. take all the immigrants to Canada and we should take them to our northern border? Is that <laughs> I, what we should do? I hadn't thought of it that Have way. Have we thought of it that way? Uh, like when you open up camps in Montana? Like, I don't know. I'm just saying. Canada's right across those trees. I don't think there's a fence. I don't think. Is there a fence between us and Canada? I don't, there's nothing, right? I don't think there's a border there's barrier. There's nothing. No, you just kind of. Those fuzzy little Canadians sneak in here all the time. Drive right across. Just come across. So here's the question then. It, back bacon and maple how many, syrup. How many migrants are sitting on the other side of the southern border just waiting? Unclear. Just waiting until Wednesday or or in the next couple of weeks after Title 42 kind of drifts away and they can't necessarily be stopped or sent back to their home countries anymore. How many of them are just sitting at our southern border waiting? I I don't – obviously, I don't have the answer to that. Nobody knows the answer to that. But also, let me throw this out there, Steve, because again, these are valid questions. Do do we believe that – Migrants from El Salvador, Nicaragua, Venezuela are well-versed in American immigration law. They're probably getting like bits and pieces at best. And I wonder who they're getting information from. People who have done it before. But do, so you, do you think like there's, like, this, cases. like there's a memo going around in Mexico right now? Hey, Wednesday, it's on. Come on. We all go. Uh, no, probably not. Like in terms of like when does Title 42 go away? But the process, they probably a lot of them hear it from people who have done it before. All anecdotal. Uh, like we talked to Allie Bradley. She's a network correspondent for News Nation. She covers the border. We talked to her last week and asked her, you know, what was the one family that stood out to you the most when you were in El Paso last week covering one of the biggest 
uh, migrant caravans we've ever seen come to Texas. And she said, you know, there was a family. The daughter had already come to the United States. She lives in, I think it was Nebraska. And the grandmother and the grandkids are now coming, and they're just going to go live with her. And so she heard about the process from the family. Right. And that's, I think, where a lot of them hear it. Well, and and, and the the reality of this is if you're wondering what fundamentally changed and how it got worse, and, and Steve, this has been going on for a little bit. Our immigration along the southern border, we'll just use Arizona as the, as the argument, for decades was primarily Mexicans coming across the border. That changed. Not anymore, yeah. That changed. And we had a plan. We had a system. We had laws. We had rules in place to deal with Mexicans, Mexican nationals coming into the United States. We do not have any of those plans. And again, I would argue elected officials in, in Washington haven't dealt with Central American, Southern uh, American, people from all over the globe suddenly coming across our southern border and overwhelming it in a system that was never ever set up to deal with them. The Biden administration hopefully will make a big announcement in the next couple of days as to what they're going to do. Don't be surprised if it's mostly just surging resources to the border to help handle whatever is to come on Mm. Wednesday. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. Coming up next on the Gatos and Chad show. Do we have a new greatest athlete of all time? We're going to get into that discussion next. Arizona's news station, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. This is the Gatos and Chad Show. Yeah, but with no Gatos, no Chad. Steve Zinsmeister in for Gatos. Bruce is in for Chad. That's how we uh We wrote Chambode for it, and that's how it came out. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, do we have a new greatest athlete of all time, thanks to what happened in the past couple of days? Well, hold on. We need to back up a little bit. There was a large sporting event on Sunday. Of course, I'm talking about the Cardinals-Broncos game. <laughs> oh, of course not. The World uh, Cup. The World Cup final. Yes, the World Cup. Can I, get, can I brag? Because, listen, I'm a fan of the foosball. All right? I like, I like international soccer, and I also like American football. I, I like and like both. The TV estimates are that the, the World Cup tournament was viewed by about 4 billion people watched at some point. Worldwide. That's about half the planet. I'm yeah. going to assume the other half don't have TVs. Okay, that's what I'm going with. They were sleeping. Sunday morning's game. Argentina versus France. Messi versus Mbappe. Was viewed by 600 million people. Wow. In context. Okay. The most watched Super Bowl of all time? Yeah. But 99 million? Last year's was 99. 99 million? Yeah. 100 million? Right 100 in that million range. roughly, yeah. Yeah. Just to give you some context. Okay. So this is six times bigger than the Super Bowl. At least, at least globally, at yes, least. at least. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And it was, here's here's my problem. So I'm a fan. I watch tons of games. I have, Arsenal is my team in the Premier League. I'm a soccer fan. If you've never watched a soccer match, and you woke up Sunday morning to watch Argentina-France, and you saw this incredible game, tied at three, extra time, scoring in extra time, going to penalty shootouts, don't ever watch another soccer game again because it's never going to get any better than that. That was amazing in every way, shape, and form. You are not going to see a game better than that. If you go to suddenly start watching soccer, you're going to be like, this is nothing like the game I saw the other day. It, it, is. it won't be. So not only the greatest game of all time, but a game that featured two of the greatest players in the world, if not number Currently, one and number yep. two. Uh, Lionel Messi is widely regarded as one of the top soccer players of the last at least decade plus. 
Oh, how long has he been playing? I assume it's been like started 20 when he was fourteen. Yeah, so twenty years. Yeah, um, and really the only thing missing on his resume personally was winning the World Cup. He was thought of. You know, you think about like uh, uh, we talk about in the NFL or the NBA, the greatest player to have never won a championship, right. right? And and he was in that the greatest player to have never won a championship. He was already one of the World best. Yeah. It's just he added the final. The only thing missing. Only from thing the he never won. Okay, so now that he has that, and he's the biggest star in the biggest sport on the entire planet, does he transcend, because there are athletes who transcend their own sport, and they get into this upper echelon of athletes, like I think of Muhammad Ali, certainly, Michael Jordan, certainly, Serena Williams gets in there, in my mind, probably Tiger Woods, Um, there's like only a handful that eclipse their own sport, and now we're talking greatest athlete of all time. Uh Is that where we're at right now with, with Messi? Well, you and, and you conveniently, you know, you just mentioned all the Americans. You conveniently left out people like Pele. Pele's obviously in there. I think Pele, you know, is in that yeah. conversation where they, they were, you didn't need to know anything about their sport. This is how I qualify that. You don't need to know anything about their sport to know who they are. And and the people you just mentioned, you know, you think about Jordan. There were kids, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, wearing Air Jordan t-shirts and, and no idea what a basketball was. Couldn't tell you how much a three-pointer is worth. Knew who Michael Jordan was. You, right. you know what I'm saying? That's how you transcend it. I think Americans, um, the fact that soccer isn't bigger in this country clouds our view of that, I think. I think if you're talking globally today, Messi is one of the if not the largest athlete on the planet. Now, there's also the argument, too, because, I mean, some of these names I mentioned, Muhammad Ali, obviously there's a lot of civil rights that goes into that. There's what he did outside of the ring, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Good and point. I, I don't know all of the uh, uh, the things, the endeavors that Messi is involved with outside of playing He's soccer. He's nowhere near as outspoken as you would say a, a Muhammad Ali was. And, and part of that is the time and the era in which you play and, yeah. and what sport this is. Certainly boxing was going through a much different time period at that at point And America was going through a different time right. when Muhammad Ali was coming up. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is it harder to get into this conversation with an athlete in today's society than it was even just 20, 30 years ago? I think, I think there's a yes in there. And I would almost argue it's because we're at information overload. And we've become very compartmentalized. I'm old enough, you're not, to remember watching Muhammad Ali. Sure. Uh, I was a kid, but I, I knew who Muhammad Ali was. I didn't know a lot about boxing. But I knew, you know, fly like a butterfly, sing like a bee. You yeah. know, I, I knew, I, okay. And I remember seeing some of these fights. These fights weren't on pay-per-view back then. They were on ABC. They, they were on broadcast television. You had the One bunny ears. four channels. <laughs> I was going to say, you had four channels. Right. We all watched. Everybody knew who he was. Think about the world of combat sports today. There's like 30 of them. There's 20 different championships. You know, all these things. It's become very diluted to where, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world isn't what it was in Muhammad Ali's time. So I would say it's more difficult for any athlete to achieve that that level of stardom, notoriety, or whatever, just because there are so many others they're competing with that there weren't back yeah, in the day. Part of it is the broadcast aspect. Yeah, with like like you said, four channels back then. Whereas now, I mean, you're watching Thursday night footballs on Amazon. You know, like that was that was a book company 20 years ago, and now we're watching Thursday night football on there. But another aspect too, I mean, with the advancements of uh, of athletes and uh, you know, like the medical side and like the physical as- the training that goes into sports now. 
there's just a lot more awesome athletes. I feel like now than there was back then, and that's not to take away well, anything. Exposed that they to did. more sport, yeah. Messi's not a big guy. You know, he's kind of a small guy. Yeah, he's kind of short. He's kind of short. How, how tall is he? He's like five nine. He's practically a midget. Five nine. Oh gosh. <laughs> Coming up next, are you going to get injured on your next flight? I know, I know, it doesn't oh. sound good, but it happens. I guess we're going to dive into that next on the Gatos and Chad Show. Arizona's news station, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. The Gatos and Chad Show, 2 till 6. Steve Zinsmeister and Bruce St. James in for Gatos and Chad. This portion of the program is brought to you by Parker & Sons Plumbing and Electrical, the two-time winner of the Better Business Bureau's Ethics Award. Bruce, are you uh, traveling at all for the holidays? Of course I am. Flying, I assume? Yeah, Thursday. You're an active flyer. You fly a lot. I'll do 120,000 miles a year or so. Okay. I'm I'm interested to get your take on this story then, too, because uh, flying is usually considered one of the safest ways to travel. That's what they say. Unless you were on this Hawaiian Airlines flight out of Phoenix this week. Uh, For more on this story, Alex Stone, ABC News correspondent, has the latest. Uh, Alex... How is it that a bunch of people got injured on a flight? Well, first of all, I am uh, impressed by Bruce's flying there. Uh, <laughs> 120, if you're going United, that's, uh, what, 1K that you're looking at there? I'm uh, I'm American, and I'm uh, platinum exec, yes. Very nice. <laughs> Bougie. Yeah, I mean, I'm we're, be not, a we're not flexing our muscles or yeah, anything I'll on that. A million but, miles uh, but yeah. So anyway, this uh, yeah, this flight uh, pretty crazy for the people who were on board. Uh, Hawaiian flight thirty five and going uh, Phoenix to Honolulu yesterday, and um, Hawaii they've been dealing with uh, strong winds, thunderstorms moving through, all kinds of warnings that were up over the weekend, and they were the flight was normal. About to begin their uh, descent into to Hawaii in A330, they were on board. Um, severe turbulence hit. And those who were not seat belted in, they went flying. Jodette Neely, uh, she was on board and tells us. I thought, I don't think the plane will withstand this. I don't think we're going to make it. The exterior of the plane was fine, but uh, inside, people's heads uh, slammed against the ceiling, cracking ceiling panels. At least one person went unconscious, you know, like an elevator. It goes down, you go up if you're not seat belted in, um, and, and then slammed against against the the ceiling hmm. oxygen masks came down in the areas where uh, heads hit the, those parts of the ceiling and then opened up the the trap door and people had severe head injuries cuts bruises she said it, it looked really bad in the cabin it looked like a tornado went through the place and now the airline says they're going to figure out how far was that drop how much altitude did they lose the pilot said they knew they had to get right into honolulu that they uh, they had a lot of injured passengers and crew they went straight in declaring an emergency Hawaiian Heavy, did you need uh, uh, medical personnel uh, at the gate? Oh, yes, we do. Hawaiian 35. Yeah, the audio from Live ATC. So 20 people uh, went to hospitals. There were around 36 who were injured uh, overall, but 20 had to go in ambulances uh, and on a bus that, that came and got them to transport the uh, the less serious all at once. Uh, 11 had serious injuries. The seatbelt sign was on when it happened, and Hawaiian Airlines Chief Operating Officer John Snook, he's saying today. No, there was no warning of, of this particular patch of air at that altitude was uh, was in any way dangerous. So guys, three of the injured were crew members, uh, the others passengers, the youngest 14 months old, all expected to survive, but some uh, pretty beat up. Uh, and that wasn't the only one. There was another one today, United flight from Brazil to Houston. They hit severe turbulence over Cancun. Uh, three crew members, two passengers went to hospitals when they landed in Houston. Others had more minor injuries. That one, a, a Boeing 767, they landed safely too, but yet, you know, 
know, this is, if you've ever been in severe turbulence, and uh, we hit uh, one time when I was really young, like nine years old, clear air turbulence in Florida. And, I mean, just, uh, you know, coffee flying and people screaming and people holding down the flight attendants. It is horrendous when, when it happens. In this case, so many people were unbuckled, even though the, the, the light was on. And then, of course, flight attendants who were up and about, um, that they hit the ceiling and they got badly injured. Talking with Alex Stone, ABC News. Alex, what kind of legal responsibility does the airline carry for all these injuries? You know, it doesn't seem like there would be a lot of anything. You sign your life away. If you ever look on, uh, you know, when they would issue you a paper ticket on the back Mm -hmm. of it, it essentially says you may die on board, you know, what you're going on. And that's not our fault. Um, And wherever it would be now, probably online or somewhere in in everything that that you agree to. But um, this was part of flying, that, that apparently they were not in a thunderstorm, but they were nearby. Uh, did they clip a thunderstorm? Um, we've all been in the vicinity of thunderstorms. We're up in the high clouds, and it gets really, really rough. Um, so it's part of flying that you may hit turbulence. And you know what? As you don't want to blame the victim, but there is that sign that told you to put on your seatbelt. Everybody who had a seatbelt on, they're freaked out that they're doing perfectly fine today. All right, Alex Stone, ABC News, thanks for thanks. keeping us updated on the latest. You got it. Thanks, guys. You've hit turbulence on this level? Was it on this level? Similar, yeah. How so? Uh, we made an emergency landing. It's the only time I've ever been to Detroit in my life is because <laughs> I I was on a flight that made an emergency landing because we had people hurt on board. Okay. Uh, people flying around the cabin? Absolutely. And there was during drink service, uh, meal, drink, I don't remember specifically. So did the cart go flying? The cart, you know, and you've got a... a um, uh, flight attendant, like in front and behind the cart, you know, right. as they're serving people. And uh, we just hit one of those clear air pockets and the plane started to drop. It, it felt like going over the top of a roller coaster. Sure. Okay. And everything went to the ceiling and the cart went up in the air and kind of got wedged up there. And the flight attendants were pinned up on there. And anybody that wasn't wearing a seatbelt went flying up in the air and hit the ceiling. So when the plane did eventually level out, everything comes back down. Everything comes flying. And then these people and these carts all came down. We had uh, lacerations. We had a broken arm on board. You know, we had a whole bunch of people that were were decently hurt. I mean, you know, we we had ambulances meet the the plane on the tarmac. What about you? Were you uh, seat belted in or? So, uh, listen, far be it for me to give people advice, but I do fly a lot. Sure. I always wear my seatbelt. I rarely get up on a plane. I don't even go to the bathroom usually. I mean, I go before and after. I I loosen it up a little, you know, so I'm comfy, but I don't take the seatbelt off because I've seen people go flying around an airplane before, and there's no way to stop it from happening. Always, always, always wear my seatbelt. It does make you think about the complacency on planes, because I know a lot of people that will take their seatbelt off. Just because the the sign goes, Just because the sign went off. Yeah, I don't. I'm like you. I Never. A, I never get out of my seat. I don't know that I've ever been in a bathroom on an airplane. I sit on the window also, because I don't want to get up and let other people out. Right. I'm on the window, sit down, I'm there till we land. Certainly a scary story and a flight that came out of Phoenix on Hawaiian Airlines. Coming up next, it was a big day for election challengers, Carrie Lake and Donald Trump. We'll give you the absolute latest on their cases. That's coming up next on the Gatos and Chad Show. Arizona's news station, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. Drive home with the Gatos and Chad Show. No Gatos, no Chad. Steve Zinsmeister, Bruce St. James in for the guys today. 
And it is a big day for some of the election challengers, shall we call them. Okay. One, Carrie Lake, who did not win the governor's race, but has her day in court finally, and she and her lawyers get the opportunity to say their piece. Make their argument, if you will. And today was uh, the day they were in Maricopa County Superior Court uh, in front of Judge Thompson. And this is so some of this is um, standard perfunctory. I'm led to believe I hope that word means what I think it means that. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Almost every case. uh, Usually one side will file for a motion to dismiss. And you basically go before the judge and go, this is just ludicrous. It's bogus. It is frivolous. I object, whatever you do. And you just say, you say, we should throw this case out because basically there is no case to be had, you know? So, so what they did this morning is argue the motion to dismiss. The judge has now taken that into advisement and is expected to rule if the judge agrees with the motion to dismiss, it's over. That happened to, Fincham on Friday. Mark Fincham, he ran for Secretary of State. I believe his argument was a little different, though. It had to do more with the machines being certified before the election. My point being is, the judge said, this is, threw it out immediately. Bogus. Said, there's no, we're not moving forward. Right. We're waiting on Judge Thompson to find out if he will grant the motion to dismiss, ending this case, or if he allows it to move forward and go through the, the process, if you will. So it's been in a, a holding pattern. And my understanding is that there's also a challenge being heard today from Abe Hamaday. He ran yes. for attorney general. Uh, he is also getting the same sort of this should be dismissed argument yes. from the other side. Now, of course, these come from your political opponents in the race. But also you got to k- keep in mind, Katie Hobbs is not only the political opponent of Carrie Lake, but also the acting secretary of state, the legal opponent. So she has to defend her own office and right. what they were able to accomplish during the election. And lawyers for the secretary of state, lawyers for uh, Maricopa County um, were the ones making the argument, if you will. And Carrie Lake had her and uh, uh, Abe Hamaday have their attorneys making the argument on the other side. So while that all is going on here locally and we're waiting for judges to come to their conclusions about whether or not to dismiss the what are essentially the final challenges to our election results. Well, and, and can I just listen? I was following this on the Twitter machine uh, of, of uh, some reporters in the in the courtroom kind of going back and forth. And some of the argument they were having a little fun and apparently the judge you know, it was the proverbial eye roll at some of the arguments being made. Uh, uh, um, I remember one of them, they said uh, that voters were disenfranchised and they, they couldn't vote because the lines were long. And, you know, they made the well, they made the point. They said we can only debate and argue the legality of votes that were cast. Right. Not votes that weren't cast. If you don't vote, we can't argue the legitimacy yeah, of your vote. It, we, yeah, there's no argument. Yeah, okay. It doesn't it, exist. They said there's five statutes in the state of Arizona that you can challenge an election, and the lines were long and I didn't vote is not one of them. Right. I, I've never liked that argument. Also, too, because you go back to, I mean, as recently as the day before the election, I remember reading the biggest, the newest conspiracy they came up with, and it was mostly peddled by Mark Fincham running for Secretary of State, was show up as late as you can on Election Day mm-hmm. so that we can overwhelm the system. Yeah. And they won't have the capacity to address all of our votes. We'll overwhelm the system and ruin their Election Day and prove that the system is is bogus. But then after the election and what they claim uh, was the system being overwhelmed, they all went, well, the system was overwhelmed. How can you expect us to do a fair election? Yeah. 
And I'm like, this was your plan all along. Yeah, uh, unsurprising. And it appears, at least from the the legal uh, um, people that I follow who were watching this, there weren't a lot of strong legal arguments made today. Well, yeah, I can't say that I'm surprised by that. Don't no. be. I would not be shocked if these both get shot down. I mean, I don't know what the timeline is on this. I don't know if they the, have to do it today or. Uh, the judge in the lake, the, the hominid hearing is going on as we speak. The lake hearing was earlier this morning. Right. Um, they're expected to rule quickly because they made an argument, which I can understand. We need to have a ruling on this before inauguration. Right. So they've sped up. The timeline is sped up. So the judge is aware of that. Well, and God forbid that there's a decision where you have to do some sort of redo, essentially. But they would, you, you don't have need time. to do that before right. inauguration. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. So that's time is of the essence, and apparently the judge is in on that. So we may, and if we do get one during the show, we'll obviously let you know, a hearing on at least the motion to dismiss. Worth mentioning, too, as we kind of head out on this segment, is uh, not a great day for Donald Trump either, who uh, the January 6th committee recommended four different charges against the former president. No uh, surprise. Yeah. I don't know if anything's going to come of that, to be honest. But... No, there isn't. I can tell you. Okay. Well, then there you have it. Nothing's coming of it. Yeah. Coming up next, one Valley cop found a tricky way to give somebody a surprise breathalyzer test. But was it legal? It's next on the Gatos and Chad Show.